It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, everyone. Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. If you're a new listener, I'm so glad you're here and returning Thank you so much for joining. We have people all over the world. I've got some listeners in Japan, Korea, New Zealand, the UK, the United States, Canada. So thank you all for being here. Today's show is all about shifting your midlife mindset and reinventing yourself. And, you know, I wanted to do the show because I have two amazing guests who are really all about raising your vibe, shifting your mindset and taking steps to really make midlife the best time of your life. And, you know, when I um, so much when I when I talk to new clients, I find the number one thing that they are really struggling with is mindset. And changing mindset is really everything. I like to say, change the dreamer and you change the dream. But recently I started working with a new woman and she, when she came to see me initially, was in this deep negativity loop where she would have all of these ideas of things she wanted to do. And then she would get totally overwhelmed and she would duck and cover with potato chips and Netflix. And she was really feeling stuck. So the first thing we're really doing with her is shifting her mindset and giving her baby steps of things that she can do that bring her more joy. And that really is starting to change everything for her. And that can really change everything for you. And the first step is first realizing that you do have choices. You know, so often we get to midlife And we have this idea that it's the worst time of life, everything's downhill, my best years are behind me, but you've got incredible choices. And the truth is that you've got the rest of your life in front of you. So you can shift your mindset, you can shift your beliefs, and you can shift your focus. So the first thing about mindset is shifting from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. So a fixed mindset means that you perceive your competencies as stagnant or even diminishing. Again, that idea that the best years are behind me, I'm all washed up, there's nothing to look forward to. And honestly, if that's your mindset, that's what's going to show up for you. In contrast, with a growth mindset, you're really focused on proving yourself and more importantly, not so much proving, but improving yourself. Like looking at what are my strengths? What do I love to do? How can I be more resilient? Where am I helping other people? But shifting from, again, that fixed mindset to that growth mindset will make a huge difference in how you moved forward. The next thing is to also just own your uniqueness and that you are awesome and that you're already enough. You know, so often we think that, you know, when I take this trip, when I lose the weight, when I meet the right partner, whatever those things are, then I'll feel good about myself. But we're always chasing our tail and we get caught in this spiral of not enoughness. So right now, own your uniqueness, own that you are an amazing human and that you are enough. And you know, contrasting to that, as you're owning who you are, jettison all the things that diminish your light including beliefs like, I'm too old to start a business, I'm too old to travel, I feel invisible. And the one that I see so often in midlife women is 
everybody else comes first. And that's something that I think we feel a lot of guilt about when we start to put ourselves first and we start to say, you know, this is my damn life and I'm going to make the most of it. Sometimes this guilt comes up and you really need to work with that. I've even seen women when they start to own their own life, that they start to feel even shame for moving in that direction. So that's a thing to work with, but really jettisoning those beliefs and those thoughts that really diminish who you are. And then, you know, shifting your focus, stop focusing on everything that is wrong in your life and everything that's not working. And instead start to focus on what lights you up, what brings you joy, what are your strengths, what's awesome about you, what do you love to do and what sage advice is unique to your experience that you can offer others. Of course, stop doing the self compare the uh, social comparison game. I know we all do it, right? We're on social media and we're looking at other women and everyone of course is putting out their best self, but really don't compare yourself to anybody else. Just be your best self. And you know, ultimately it comes down to finding a new balance in your life where you are feeling more joyful, you're experiencing more love, more resilience, more flexibility in your life. And in finding a new focal point, I like to think about, you know, kind of a yoga metaphor is when you're in a balanced pose, you got to focus, right? If you start to think about everything in your life, you start ruminating and you're in that tree pose or the half moon, you're going to fall over. So balance is all about really constantly shifting and also focusing on really what is true to you and what lights you up. So I've got some great guests today who are going to help you shift your mindset. And our first guest is Sarah Milliken, and she is the creator of the Instagram feed and the podcast, The Flexible Neurotic. I think we first came in connection with each other on Instagram. I absolutely adore her Instagram feed. I kind of think about her as like one part Sarah Jessica Parker, one part Joan Rivers. She is funny. She is irrelevant. Excuse me. She is relevant and irreverent. And, you know, she's very real. I mean, I think my favorite thing she shared was her experience getting a colonoscopy. (laughs) She was like... Here I go. You got to do this, people. But, you know, she really is reinventing herself and she is in partnership with all of we women who are really redefining midlife. I mean, she talks about everything, menopause, hot flashes, emptiness, keeping your romance alive. And, you know, she isn't scared to like show both her beautiful glamorous side, but also her, you know, kind of sweaty, having a hot flash moment. Um, And she has a great CV. Um, In addition to her podcast and her Instagram, she has a PhD in educational psychology from the University of Southern California. And she's taught in the Graduate School of Education at USC. She's also a fellow Penn grad, go Quakers. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm a Quaker myself. Um, And she serves on several philanthropic boards and also is raising two teenagers. My heart goes out to you. My kids are (laughs) 21 and 25. So I've been there, done that. And she is really recreating herself and, uh, and really capitalizing on her strengths and hence the Flexible Neurotic Podcast. That's how it was born. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Obviously, I enjoy watching your Instagram as well and the inspiration that you bring to the whole midlife platform. And I'm happy to be here. 
Well, it's great to finally meet you because I don't think we nice have not had a chance you. to chat other than on Instagram. So tell us what led up to your midlife remix, remix. What happened prior to you deciding like, I'm bored, I'm itchy, I got to do something. I mean, look, it's a really long story, but the abridged version is I grew up in a house with two working parents, two professional parents. And my mom was is the CEO of the largest nonprofit in the country for special needs kids. So I grew up in a house where I had two equally sort of powerful parents, equal say, equal pay. Um, they both have advanced graduate degrees. And I just, that's all I knew. My mom didn't do carpool. She didn't do PTA. She didn't make brownies. That's, that was the avenue that I was accustomed to. And mo- a lot of who I am is because of that. Needless to say, so I went Ivy League, I got the PhD, I taught at USC, and I did all of those things. I checked all of those sort of very performance-based benchmarks for myself. And then I had my first kid, and I thought, oh my God, I can't leave. And it was never part of my plan. And the whole peanut gallery started coming to the surface, including my parents and my friends. And everyone was like, wait, you just put all this time and energy into your education, and now you're just going to be a stay-at-home mom? And that just stay-at-home mom obviously pissed me off and got me sort of going. Um, But I really sort of embraced my decision because I've always been a pretty confident person, and I just felt that want to be there at home. And I kept saying to myself, okay, I'm going to go back to work in five years. I'm going to go back to work in five years. And then suddenly I'm 30, 35, 40, 45. And my kids were, I guess, 15, uh, 13 and 15 at the time. And I was like, God, I have these midlife itchies. Like I have this husband who's, you know, off doing his career. My kids don't really need me as much anymore. And my son is starting to drive Like, what's my place here? And obviously serving on boards and being with other educated people was super inspiring and enriching, but that wasn't something that was my own. And I really felt like I needed a little niche, a little something that was for myself, that wasn't related to my kids, wasn't related to my husband or my parents. And my daughter gave me this box for my 45th birthday, and it was a gold box with all these inscriptions from my friends. And she asked all my friends, what do you think of my mom? And everyone wrote like, my nerd friend, my research friend, my friend I go to for everything. And I thought, God, there's really like this through line here. What can I do with this? And a lot of, for a long time, people have been like, oh, you should write a book. You're self-deprecating. You write the way you speak. And my husband was like, please don't write a fucking, wait, am I allowed to say bad words? Please, please <laughs> don't clean here. Yeah. Please don't okay. write a book. You're just going to be trapped at home. That's not what the goal of this whole thing that you're trying to do is in your kind of rebrand. And I really thought about, and I thought, okay, I love the talk. I love to ask questions. I'm going to do a podcast. And so of course, I have no idea how to do a podcast. And then COVID hits two weeks later. And I was like, oh, okay, how am I going to do this? So it kind of all started from the gold, the midlife itchies, the gold box from my daughter, and this sort of idea that I wanted to create a forum where other women could come along this journey with me because we're all in the same boat. Yeah. 
So, and how did you come up with the flexible neurotic? Like, was there a moment that it just popped into your head and like, yeah, that's what I do. Like with me, with the midlife whisperer, it was like, oh yeah, that's what I do. I kind of whisper to women at midlife. I got you. I understand you. I've been there. I've helped other women. But what was that kind of kernel, that sort of inspiration that led to the moniker, the flexible neurotic? I mean, honestly, I think a lot of my friends sort of referred to me as that because I'm this person who avidly researches something to the point where like there's no more discussion left. But then once I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I have all the information I need, then I don't over ruminate about the decision. I just make it. And so it's flexible in the sense that once I feel like I've aggregated all the information, I'm like, okay, deep breath decision, no rumination. So that's how it became the flexible neurotic. And I think it catches a lot of people's eyes because they're like, wait, that's a juxtaposition. That doesn't make sense. But then once they get into the podcast and they sort of hear the combination of sort of the, the expert information from myself or from my guests juxtaposed with the sass and the irreverence, it all makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I <laughs> love the fact that you you know, open up this whole can of worms of how difficult midlife is and how we're redefining it. But your real kernel is take baby steps. Yes, for sure. Because I have found that anytime I've tried to do something big, like Rome wasn't built in a day, as the saying goes. Whenever I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat any carbs anymore. I fail in two hours. I'm like in the pantry eating bagels, you know? And so I've realized that in this process of my own personal re midlife remix over the past two years, that being able to take these small steps and, and embrace the learn as you go. It's very hard in midlife to come at something as a newbie. It's like getting, you know, a cashier's job, you know, right at, you know, in high school. You're like, wait, I'm 45 years old. Like, why am I starting at the bottom again? But it's basically embracing the fact that you are starting something new and it's okay to start small and it's okay to start at the beginning. And that's really hard, especially like for someone like me where I'm like, wait, I got all these degrees. I checked all these boxes and now I'm going to start an Instagram account with zero followers. I didn't even have an Instagram account, like even a personal one. I'd never been on Facebook. I had never had a podcast. So it was like, okay, zero followers on Instagram, zero listeners on a podcast. Sure, Sarah, let's go. You know, that's like embarrassing. But I think I just sort of embraced it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to learn as I go. I'm going to turn down the sort of inner mean girl where all that self-doubt, like you referenced at the beginning, kind of comes into play. I'm going to follow my intuition that this is really what I want to be doing. And the peanut, the peanut gallery volume has to come down because there's always going to be people with opinions about what you're doing or not doing versus what they're doing or not doing. So at the end of the day, in this midlife remix, from my perspective, is doing you whatever that is and not judging others for doing them whatever those things are. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is when you do you, when all of us do you, 
then it gives everybody else permission to do you. And that's something I love about the work that you're doing. And the what I'm finding on Instagram is that there's a lot of women who are just being real. And like, this is my messy life. And this is what's going on. I mean, I've been talking about my breast cancer diagnosis. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in April. And I'm kind of using my mindset, thriving through it, like just wearing glittery shoes to the radiation treatments and just cruising through. But I think we're all redefining this time, which is amazing. So You've obviously done this for yourself. Like, I, I think your your work is, you know, it's fun. It's edgy. It's glamorous. It's like you said, it's it's irreverent. So how if someone's listening and they're saying, God, I'm bored, I'm frumpy, I'm lumpy, as you put it. How do you start to feel sexy, edgy and liberated? I mean, I think it goes back to the things that I just referenced before. It's I, I think part of the problem is some women don't know what doing them means, because they've lost track of who they are in all the decades that have passed because they have been a mom or they have been a wife. So it's really sort of refocusing and thinking about, okay, before I was married or before I had kids, or if you haven't had kids before I started this career, whatever that might be, what were the things that lit me up? What were the things I was interested in? So many women reach out to me and they're like, oh, I used to love to write. I used to love to paint. I used to love to cook for cooking sake, not because my teenagers were like, I want this, I want that, but because I just love the meditative process of cooking. And I think sometimes we have to actually stop and try to remember what those things were. And if you didn't have those things, create opportunities for new things. Try to say yes to more new things that you wouldn't normally do. Like, I'm not an athletic person at all, like total spaz. And my friend had a 50th birthday that was a pickleball, par pickleball party. And I was like, that is my worst nightmare come true. Like 50 women playing pickleball. But guess what? I said yes. And I think that we're so accustomed to saying no to things that feel uncomfortable. But I think in midlife, when we're trying to find these new avenues and trying to create novelty, like research shows that we're seeking novelty every five to seven years in our lives. Hence, people buy sports cars, have affairs, and do all of these things because we're looking for novelty. So saying yes to the pickleball game or to the girls' trip that you wouldn't have normally gone on opens a lot of doors that potentially wouldn't have been open before. Yeah, that's great advice. I like to tell people, go back to kindergarten. And I think we're, we get so much conditioning about who we're supposed to be. And that's something I'm working on now is really getting to know my five-year-old self. Like, what did my five-year-old self love to do? What was my five-year-old self saying I want to be when I grow up? And so excavating and getting rid of you know, because it's, we experience trauma as kids, right? So we develop this self-critic that says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't be that. And so I think midlife is this opportunity to do this incredible healing, to get to know your five-year-old and to say, God, what did she love to do? And then also, I love this idea of doing something new and, you know, putting the judgment aside and doing it for the joy of it. Like I'm learning to play ukulele and I actually mm. won't say I, I don't suck at it anymore. I've been doing it for like six months and um, don't compare myself to my sister who's been playing the guitar and ukulele for like 20 years. It is incredible, but it's just fun. I have more trouble with fine arts because I still feel like I draw like a, you know, again, three-year-old, five-year-old. So it's a little bit judgier for me, but find that thing that's just fun that you like 
to do. Um, so I'd love for you to share, I was just bringing up your Instagram and you've got this great post about midlife energy givers and midlife energy takers. Can you share sort of your top in both of those two categories? I mean, that list could go on for ages. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, just to sort of present it, I mean, I kind of think of things like, okay, in midlife, what are the things that fire me up that I'm excited about? And what are the things that are just like, oh, oh my God. And how can I flip those takers into givers? So, I mean, on a basic level, you're like, oh, I have like a dry, you know, vagina and it's not leading to, you know, wanting to have sex or an increased libido. So, you know, a giver could potentially be like a lube or, you know, going to a doctor and getting estrogen. So it's kind of flipping the things that take away from your midlife or you're perceiving to be taken away and turning them into things that are actually positive. Yeah. So you're looking at solutions instead of yes. problems. So like shifting your mindset so that when you say, yeah, I'm having some trouble with my libido, I'm having trouble in the bedroom. Let's brainstorm. Let's get some expert advice and see what I can do about it. I'm curious about menopause because you're, mm -hmm. I think you're in the, you're in the heat of it right now. I've been there, done that. What are some of the best tips and techniques that you've gotten from some of the people that you have interviewed around menopause? I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, there's so many like medical and philosophical conversations to be had around HRT and estrogen and all of those things. And obviously I'm not a medical doctor and I can't get into all of that, but I definitely present both sides of everything. For me, taking estrogen has been life-changing for me. But that doesn't mean the next person is going to have that same experience. But anything that I feel that I can do to put myself in a position where, you know, midlife itself, having, you know, feeling irrelevant, feeling invisible, kind of feeling the blahs is coming no matter whether we want it or we don't. Right. And so if we can sort of set up our sort of chemical insides and our hormones to kind of be in a calmer state, then I feel like we can use that extra personal energy on the midlife remix on, like you said, creating joy, finding the things in, in life that turn us back on rather than all the sweats, all the night sweats, all the discomfort. Yes, that's going to be there, but there are things we can do to mitigate them. Yeah. And so it sounds like the same advice you gave earlier. Do you find out yeah. what works for and you? And look, everybody's going to have a different version of it. And as long as you can stick to what works for you and not judge what other people are doing and those people not judging what you're doing, then, hey, go for it. It's just the judgment piece that I think is kind of gets into murky waters because from my perspective, I'm like, high school's over. Like we already dealt with the mean girl and you can't sit at my lunch table nonsense. Like midlife is a time to be you, do you, and let everybody kind of be in their own lanes. And I hope that, or at least I know that, you know, a lot of women in my plat on my platform really appreciate that because people will have slightly different journeys, but as long as we res respect each other's, then we're good. Yeah. And I think we can learn so much and also just the normalization of menopause. Like this is a more, more normal transition. Like would we say to our, you know, I have a daughter, would we say to our daughter going through 
puberty, like, no, this isn't okay that you've got mood swings, that you're feeling kind of strange, that you don't feel comfortable in your body. And so why how, why did we get to this point where this midlife transition and menopause became the sort of taboo thing to really focus on and lean into? And I also think that the one of the reasons I think that my podcast has had like early success is that is from what I'm gathering is women are saying, oh my God, I feel so normal. Oh my God, I feel so seen. Oh my God, I thought I was the only one with crotch swamp. Oh my God, I thought I was the only one who was, you know, sweating through my clothes. And I think that when you sometimes take these really big and heavy things and you add the humor to it and that we're all in this together and that we're all feeling this, there's a normalization and there's a feeling of less aloneness. And I feel like midlife has a lot of invisibility or feeling aloneness or a new sense of irrelevance as your kids need you less. And I think that being part of a female platform where you're feeling less alone, feeling more seen is so normalizing. Yeah, we are shining a light and shining your light so that people can see that, hey, it's not just me. So we have a couple of minutes. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the empty nest thing because you have been writing about that, sharing that your kids are off to college. You know, not, yet. To, not yet. Not yet. They're start, right. They're starting, you're starting to do the college trips. And I don't know if you've got some going next year, but how are you dealing with empty nest? I have to be honest. It's, it's, you know, it's hard. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be a little bit easier, but like they were both gone for a month this summer. And I thought, okay, great. Like I'm going to have some more time with my husband. And then there would be like, two days I don't hear from my almost 18-year-old son. I was like, God, that just feels so harsh. But then at the same time, I'm like, wow, I've raised this kid to be independent enough to not text me to ask me how to turn the washing machine on. You, you know what I mean? So it's like this mixed bag of like push-pull. I need you. I don't need you. Um, you know, and the same thing with my daughter. It would be like she was having this amazing day in New York with on the program she was on, and I never heard from her. And then the next day, it was like two girls were kind of mean, and then I heard from her three times. And then I was like, oh, my God, dopamine hit. I'm needed mm -hmm. again. You know what I mean? And so it's definitely that, like, push-pull because we are so used to being needed, and I yeah. think that that's what's going to be my biggest struggle and obstacle in this process coming. My, this is my son's senior year, so we're in college applications now. And then my daughter is going to be a sophomore, so I have three more years at home. But then there's times where she's like, maybe I'll go abroad for a semester or maybe. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me. But I think one of the main things in all of this, and I think the reason why I started this midlife remix two years ago, is I knew this was coming. And so I thought, okay, I have to have something in place that's for me, 
that's sort of keeping my mind busy, keeping my heart busy, giving me purpose, giving me passion, giving me connections with other people, because I can't just sit around thinking about my kids leaving. That was the whole point of raising them, raising them to give, put their wings on and fly and go out into the real world, not to sit home and live with me and ask me my opinions on everything, even though I would love to give them my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not reality. And so for me, it was really trying to figure out something that was a little carved out sense of passion for myself before they fly out of my nest. That's beautiful. So creating something for yourself. And trust yeah. me, Sarah, when they become mine are again, 21 and 25. And I just had a uh, long conversation. My daughter is in Amsterdam. So wow. trust me when things go awry. They will pick up the phone. They always pick up the phone when, when things are going great and they're having fun. They're like, mom, what's a mom? Yeah, exactly. And when things are like, oh my God, I'm struggling. It's like, hello. So thank you so much for sharing. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to be talking with Diana Patton, who empowers women leaders to overcome trauma, adversities, and challenges. We'll catch you on the other side. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause, and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. 
Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. I want to let you know that the show is sponsored by the Optimal.me. For the midlifer who wants to feel younger, stay active, independent, and energetic without pain or injury, and feel confident that this phase of life is their best yet. You can take control of how you age with the Optimal.me because you're never too old to take a smarter approach to aging and give yourself the freedom to make your next chapter your best chapter. I have been enjoying their classes, their integrative movement exercises. They have all kinds of levels, whether you are a newbie to fitness or you are a seasoned jock, you will find lots of resources to help you get fitter, build strength, flexibility, and work on those joints so you can age well. So before the break, we were talking with Sarah Milken, who is known as a flexible neurotic, and we are going to be talking with Diana Patton. I'll bring her on formally in a moment, but I wanted to ask Diana if she had a question for Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Um, Hi. What is the number one thing that you tell yourself to keep yourself in a state of positivity. Midlife self-obsession is approved. There you go. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so that's it. I mean, I think so many women are in this mode of giving, 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 people-pleasing, people-pleasing, that we get to this point where we want to rebrand ourselves and rediscover and reinvent, and we think it's selfish. But it's really not selfish. And self-obsession sounds narcissistic, but once you feel like you've fed your soul and nourished yourself, you have so much more to give to a spouse, to your children, to your friends. So midlife self-obsession is approved. There you go. I like hashtag that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. We've got that default mode network that's running down our brain that is trying to have self-definition. I think too, and we shove it down and we do everything for everybody else. The resentment comes up, the anger comes up, and we're not of use to other people. You can't give from an empty cup. So I love that answer. Thank you. So let's bring on Diana Patton. She's known as the confidence expert, and she empowers women leaders to overcome trauma, adversities, and challenges to find their voice and stand up with courage to advocate for themselves themselves and others in their workplace and community. With a passion for social justice and equality, Diana partners with corporate leaders to integrate diversity, equity, and inclusion into the fabric of their organizational culture. She is a civil rights attorney and founder of Rise with Diana and the Rise Advocates Academy, a personal and professional development program enabling women leaders to increase their confidence, find their calling, fulfill their potential, advocate for causes, and make a greater impact through their work and in their community. She is the author of Inspiration in My Shoes, and I I love this title. This yoga's journey, 50 years of life lessons, wisdom, and inspiration over 50 days through the lens of Ashtanga yoga. Yeah. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Diana. So awesome to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Well, let's dive right in. Um, What do you think are the three critical things that one needs to become or maintain, uh, become or maintain their confidence? What do we need to do to be confident women? Number one, know thyself. A lot of people have no clue, as you were talking with Sarah about themselves. 
I never, ever went to school to learn about Diana, except for what I paid for on my own (laughs) personal development classes. From the time I was, maybe they talked about it in elementary school, I don't remember, but from the time I got into junior high, high school, college, and law school, no one asked me, Diana, what are your values? (laughs) So know thyself and really spend time on getting a professional license in yourself to know your triggers, to know everything about you. So that would be the absolute number one thing that I would tell people to do, get a daily practice that allows you to, to, to do that. And so what I mean by that is so many people wake up and they just go in their day. You know, they never, ever sit down. They don't carve out time to read, to learn and all the things. And so you have to have a daily practice. Mine was always there because I grew up with a mama who did that. Right. And I am the number six child of seven. And I saw my mom who worked full time consistently pulling time away to pray, to read her Bible, to talk to God. And I simply adopted that with my work, working full-time with two kids in the corporate world. That was my thing. And so I realized that is a thing, establish a daily practice. And so, and then the third thing, I would consistently make certain that you are feeding yourself and your mind with words of positive affirmation. Right. And now these all kind of fall into a daily practice, but people don't even understand that you speak life according to the way that you speak to yourself. And a lot of people have horrible narratives for themselves. And we have the nerve to go out there and help a whole bunch of other people. (laughs) Well, we aren't even that's why we don't have confidence, because we see ourselves as phony, fake and completely 100 percent of fraud. That's because you tell yourself all this jacked up stuff and you're not giving yourself what you need. And I just believe those are three things, but I have a whole, I could go on and on, but we'll stop there. Well, those are powerful. Certainly be, know yourself. That's like yeah. the first step of my book is authenticity. You got to know who you are. Cause if you don't know who you are and you start to try to rock your midlife, you're not going to be you. And you're going to have these masks on all the time and wondering why I'm not confident. Well, you're not confident because your confidence is about confiding and trusting yourself. And if you're not being yourself, you can't trust yourself. And I love the daily practice piece. You know, and daily practice can be as simple as writing out your daily affirmation, which is number three, spending a few minutes with intention setting, with prayer. I like to keep a little bit of a gratitude journal. And I also just like to ask myself, like, what would make today awesome? Like, what are three things about today? Like if I'm having a show or a client doing my best, having a great show. So those are those are really great techniques. So what strategies do you teach women to help them become more confident in confident in their voice? So one of the things, one of the practices I, I had is called life's breadcrumbs. And so basically I ask women to take pictures of themselves from when they were kids and start to remember what it was like when they were 10 years old. As Sarah was talking about, like, what did you love to do? What were the things? And to actually write those things down. And it's called life's breadcrumbs because I believe, as Steve Jobs says, that you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. And so you begin to start to analog. You start to write out all of those things to really begin to, to, to do that. The other thing I like to do by Dr. Joe Dispenza, who wrote the book, you know, how to gain my, how to lose your mind and gain a new one. I don't know the whole title. I can't remember, but it's called the identity gap. There is a person that tends to show up in her real self, 
behind the scenes. And then she's a completely different woman when she goes in front of public. Now, what stands between what's the person behind the scenes and the person in front is shame, guilt, blame, unforgiveness, and a whole bunch of narratives that someone told you all along the way. Stereotypes, angry Black women, emotional. When we start to close that identity gap, When we start to be more of the person from behind the scenes to be the person in front of other people, we gain more confidence. Why? Because you don't feel like a fraud. And also, too, so identity gap, life's breadcrumbs. We also work on what are the commitments that you want to make to yourself and then analyze how you're doing in keeping them. You see, when we don't keep the simple commitments that waking up on time, hitting a snooze bar, we think, again, we can't do it. But what if you just committed to just get so people are like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to do it. Girl, just get up on time. Right. It's just like get out of bed. Let's start there. OK, carry a water bottle around. You don't even have to have water in it. Just carry that around, okay? It's just the little commitments. You got to be assured of yourself because faith, which is what I have a lot of, comes from the substance of things you can't even see in the evidence of things to come. So you got to believe in this, but you've got to take that uncomfortable action. Those are just a few things. I have a whole thing in my Rise Advocates Academy. It's an eight-week class that I love to teach these concepts and strategies to women, and they are effective. Yeah, and I love what you said. It's similar to what Sarah says, is just taking those baby steps and turning those into habits instead of saying, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm just going to get up and put my sneakers on and walk around the block because I think we just get totally overwhelmed. I'm curious, though, when we're doing the life's breadcrumbs, you know, I love um, Dr. Wayne Dyer says, you know, don't look in the rearview mirror. How do you not look in the rearview mirror and like look behind you, especially at midlife when we're like, oh my gosh, all these great things happened to me early in life. And now I feel like I'm nowhere. How did I get to this place? So how do you do the breadcrumb thing without feeling like, oh my I gosh. I don't agree with Dr. Body. Wayne Dyer. What? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I don't agree with Dr. Wayne Dyer. Uh-huh. I don't believe that you can actually see what's to come without understanding the shit you've been in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cussed. But okay. I just believe that trauma comes from what you've been in. You have to be willing to see all the, there's a book called The, the Body Keeps Score by, oh, Dr. Be, by Dr. Bezel Vanderkoff. You cannot understand how to move forward without reconciling yourself with the past. And with, with um, Churchill says, you will repeat history until you are willing to acknowledge that. And as a civil rights attorney, social justice advocate, I am seeing that come full full circle with the issues of systemic racism. I'm going to leave that alone. But when we talk about ourselves, you cannot, I just don't agree with Wayne Dyer. Now, there's an aspect of looking in the rearview mirror where you just, people just sit there and they don't move forward. Okay, Dr. Dyer. I agree with you there, but I just don't agree that you can't move forward because I did a real good job faking it in the corporate world, consistently cutting off my past, not reconciling myself with myself and where did that lead me to depression and anxiety because I didn't know why I was shaking. I didn't know why I was so upset. Well, that has a lot to do with my abusive father 
That has a lot to do with generational trauma. This has everything to do with me not reconciling myself with myself. And that's why a lot of women are messed up. I mean, we got stories. When you show up to work, you don't don't show up with your hair looking cute, your nails done. You show up with your zip code, what your mama told you when you was a kid and all the other stuff. So to me, I think that's misguiding. Yeah, no, I understand it. It, it, That makes total sense, especially when you reference the body keeps score. And if you're listening and wondering like, where do I even start with the shame and the trauma? Mm -hmm. I think the first piece is just observing it. So when you notice that you're triggered, if you notice it, instead of going right into duck and cover, fear, fight, flight, flee, whatever it is, just be like, oh God, I was just triggered. Feel it in your body. I tell people like, name it, you tame it. This is shame. This is anger. This is fear. This is trauma. Name it, you tame it. Feel it, you heal it. Feel it in your body. And then, you know, see if you can offer yourself some some compassion just because the way you feel sucks right now. Not to make it go away, but just like you would say to a friend who was going through something, you know, I'm here for you. Be there for yourself. That's great. But we do have to to heal it, there's an awful lot of stuff that needs to get healed right now. And it feels mm. a lot of time like it's getting getting worse, not better. Do you feel like it's getting better or worse? And I guess what can we do individually and collectively? You know, you referenced the race issues. We're obviously having a lot of stuff with women's rights. I think ageism is another issue. The, all of those isms. Do you have some thoughts? You know, obviously, given the work that you do around um, being a civil rights attorney. Mm-hmm. So the question is, do I feel that society is getting better or or people? I guess what I guess what can we do to, you know, are, can things get better? And what, this is a question my daughter asked me today. She's like, Mom, show me it's getting better somewhere. And I'm wondering where do we and you've got this faith, you've got that hope. How do we grow that kind of individually and collectively? Well, one of the things that I am seeing often is, again, people don't want to recognize history. They're, um, you know, colleagues of mine that were in the diversity, equity, inclusion space often would shame white people, right? You can't speak because you don't understand anything about racism. I get that, you know, my father is white. My husband is white. We've been married for 25 years. Now, I completely 100% did not marry a, want to marry a white guy because of the abuse that my father gave me and my sisters, right? So when I look at the world around us, I recognize there's a there's a lack of reconciliation within oneself to recognize thyself, to take us back to how we started this conversation. And there is a lack of reconciliation of ourselves with this world that we live in. We are fighting, there's no such thing as Black History Month, Black history is black history. You know, we we just want we want to take it out of the school systems. We don't want to talk about our history, full history, women's history, the Holocaust, slavery. So when you dare not to go into spaces because you feel uncomfortable, oh, I, I feel bad and all, then we're not willing to go there. Because a lot of us, I don't want to remember my past because it was horrible. Well, yeah, I understand that. Brene Brown, we talk, I act like Brene Brown's my girl. She is my girl. She talks about this all the time, right? You're going to consistently be hustling for affirmation until you start to reconcile yourself with your story. We are going to consistently go back to horrible times until we're willing to go into the scary things, the things that we didn't actually like about our history. We cannot go forward until we do that. So- are we getting better? Well, yeah, I mean, we 
does anyone know about the Lilly Ledbetter law? Most people don't know about the Lilly Ledbetter law. It's a law that allows you to be able to talk about your salary at work. So the, the change for people, and I'm a lawyer, it's not changing laws. It's really looking at ourselves and moving forward. How do we communicate with people? Are we willing to have difficult conversations? Are we willing to go into places that we feel not so comfortable? You know, being of mixed race and living in a mixed race home, and and I'm a civil rights attorney. He's he does a lot of financial advising. He's in a different world. We're constantly going into clashing, which is what a lot of people do in communities and at work. So we've got. I've just learned so much just being married to my husband through the whole George Floyd. So I think we're getting better, but we have to be. All of us have to be willing to learn history and to consistently understand. What's my place? What's my space in my community speaking up for equity as women, knowing thyself and speaking up as having agency within yourself and to say things on your job? But that's where I come in because a lot of people are scared. (laughs) They're scared. And they also, some of them need an attorney. They need somebody to talk to because they need an advocate who's going to stand up for them. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, no, that's powerful that we all we need to really shine a light on what has gone on. And we also need to like work on ourselves and what is our place in all of this. So for the woman who's listening and she's like, okay, Sarah, Diana, you guys sound great. You're obviously confident. You're obviously empowered. But my confidence is shattered. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have been overlooked. Maybe I've even been abused. I just feel Mm -hmm. like I am at rock bottom. What do you say to her? You need to sign up for my class, sister. (laughs) You need to come on to Rise Advocates Academy. So that's riseadvocates.com. I'm serious when I say that. Because you need to take the time necessary to do this. I wish I could offer you a pill that you could swallow it. And tomorrow you'll be all like this, right? But I really believe the the reconciliation. You have to follow people like Sarah and I. You have to be religious about that, right? Because clean up your feed. Okay, your social media feed's got a whole bunch of junk in it. Clean that up. I mean, Kim Kardashian, she's all right, but she ain't everything. So you need to come into riseadvocates.com, sign up for my class. If you work for a company, you can get that paid for through professional development. I can, why do I know that? Because a lot of my students have. Talk to me, I'll get you a letter, send it to your employer and get it paid for. That's where I, and there's a whole list. If you go to riseadvocates.com, you sign up, I will give you a list of things that you can begin to read today. That's a good idea too. I love that. First of all, change your your social media feed because if you are filling your brain with junk, Mm -hmm. that is what's going to show up. But if you surround yourself with people like yourself who are rising, who are empowering women, well, that's the energy that you're going to start vibrating with. And it's like, you know, Joe Dispenza says, you got to change the habit of being yourself. You have to wake up in the morning and do that daily work, getting to know yourself getting information, educating yourself, surrounding yourself with people. So let's talk a little bit more about um, Rise Academy. What, First of all, how do you define a Rise Advocate? What is that? And This is a woman who is willing to be a change agent, a person who sees herself that says, I see more that I can do in my life. And I believe that I'm being called and led to do something, but I'm just not sure how to get there. 
And a certified RISE advocate is a person who's willing to take on the challenges of her own mindset and shifting that. And then speaking up for herself, right? Standing alone often, but knowing that she has a community of RISE advocates with her, not just saying, go girl. No, actually I'm gonna take my earrings off and I'm walking in there and helping you out. And if you need some privacy in that, then you have that too. But we know as women, the research shows we do better together, but we need to understand how to stand up for ourselves, regardless, like Katanji Brown Jackson, standing up for herself, being asked these questions and knowing that she can keep her shoulders back and her head up and keep to going. That's a rise advocate. Yeah, it's powerful too, because as women, we are supporting each other. I think we're getting to this place where we're not in competition, that when one of us rises, we're kind of pulling all all, all the sisters up and we all have so much wisdom and so much energy to give. So let's talk a little bit about um, women's empowerment. Mm. Is it just a fad word or something that has substance and meaning, especially in the workplace? Women's empowerment has been so overused because we just, you go girl, you got this, you can do it. Well, okay. So when I am standing there by myself and, you know, and I am trying to negotiate my salary, I am at the boardroom and I'm saying something that's completely and 100% than everyone. I am quietly, I feel like I'm being dismissed. I feel like people are looking at me. Wait a minute. I thought I was able to take this next promotion, but I keep getting overlooked. Those are the issues that women are fearful of. You know, the biggest issue issue we're fearful of, what will they think about me? Oh my gosh, judgment. You know, what I feel alone in that. And I'm telling you, your environment matters. So women's empowerment means something when there's action behind it and you have people supporting, not saying, girl, I'll pray for you. No, I'm saying actually going in and being that ally and that advocate and saying, no, this, we won't stand for this, right? We need actual people to stand up, to get uncomfortable, to stand up, get out of your comfort zone, tell fear because fear will never go away. You tell fear to go over here. I'm in the driver's seat and let that fear. I'm a, I am an athlete, right? I, I'm a, I am a former runner in college. I take all of that whoopsta. And I put that out into the corporate world. I put that in my community. And that's what I teach women to do. Right. We've got two minutes left. I want to make sure I let Sarah ask you a question. Sarah is like enjoying every word as am I (laughs) just listening to you is a confidence empowerment builder. Sarah, do you have a question for Diana? Yeah. I mean, in thinking about what you're saying and what we've all been talking about here, I think, like you said, when we come to any situation or any season in life, we're not brand new. We have a story to tell. We have our collection of trauma. And I guess my question for you is, I, I know this is a topic that comes up for me a lot, is how do you separate, uh, how do I say this? How do you separate personal agency and having to do this for yourself and also needing help. Mm. Because I have found like, like with the self-reinvention, I think I secretly waited for my husband to do it for me. Like, oh, Sarah, I have this great idea for you. Or mm. I was going to be, be able to order it from Amazon, you know, self-identity, midlife, it's here, Sarah. Um, and then I just woke up one day and I was like, wait, this is mine. 
-hmm. I have to do this. No one can do it for me. But -hmm. at the same time, we also have to be able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And we only have just, a, we only have about 30 seconds. So I know we have to, what, what would you say? Ask for help. <laughs> Get a therapist. Start walking down the road. I mean, honestly, that's the one, number one thing that I would tell someone. If you feel completely lost, get a therapist and sign up for my class. <laughs> Absolutely. So speaking of that, Diana, where can people find you? RiseAdvocates.com or Instagram at Diana Patton. All right. Awesome. RiseAdvocates.com or Diana Patton. And Sarah, people can find you with the Flexible Neurotic. Where else can they find you? Yeah, it's at, at the Flexible Neurotic on Instagram and the Flexible Neurotic on my website. Awesome. Thank you, women. This has been Thank such you. a joy connecting with both of you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you at the next episode. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.